Hello, folks. Good afternoon. Um, I didn't want. It's just like uh, I could start off with. I could start off with something that sounds kind of canned, but I'm not like I'm never trying. I never have an opening. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. Maybe you should have an opening. I never really do. I never really have an opening because openings are always canned. It's just there's some things that are more forced like an opening or a closing that the middle, you don't have to explain yourself for the middle because then you're just in the stream of what you're talking about. Once you get to the, once you arrive at the middle, it's more difficult to arrive at the middle. Um, my dog is on hand. His name is Ziggy. Uh, one might even go so far as to say he is Ziggy the dog, but not necessarily. He could be any number of animals besides that. He is only completely a dog. Quite literally, there's a dog that lives in my house, and dogs are descendants of wolves. There's a tiny wolf who parades himself around the rooms in my house, but he lives here just as much as I do, you know? I live in this apartment. It's not a house, it's an apartment, but I just like to use the word house for any one of those because it's a house, you know? This is, but I guess that's what the word home is for, but... Who needs, who needs the litigious dialecting, the dialects to line up correctly as they come out of your mouth? Who needs dialect behavior? Who needs to speak on imperial things? By imperial, I mean authoritative because imperial adjective for empire-like. And notice I didn't say empirical because that is something else, but I, I don't know how. I feel like empirical should be the adjective form of empire, but it actually isn't because it just means like factual, but it's kind of like empirical relates to from direct experience. It's something that's observable and verifiable is something that's like empirical evidence. Uh, and yeah, like property lines for you to carve out your own section of an empire is also very like observable. Like the whole point is that there you made something into an object so that it's evidential because it's not figurative at the point that you draw lines to say this is a thing. You draw the property lines, but it's like um I really like this idea about how money is how money is vapid, but it falls on the vapid side of things, but it's really just the people who have money are good at deceiving you into thinking that uh well, not that it's really intentional. It's just that when you have money, when you make money, it's because somebody you're deceiving somebody into believing a, a reality that exists over a longer period of time, but it's like, um, it's like an identity. Uh, an identity is kind of like the brand of money. It is the point at which money crusts itself over, hardens itself into something tangible and physical and visible that other people can see money and point to it. Identity is the brand of money, but it is like, it is only at the point which at which the money brands itself that it is making an identity for itself because you, because what, what comes along with a brand is that, um, what goes along with a brand is that it, in a lot of cases, if it's actually a brand, you know, it's something that's stuck around for a long enough time that people believe in the reality of this thing long enough that, uh, 
due to like collateral of it just existing for a long time and influencing people, it is generating all these intangibles that you're like, oh, I don't know why I go there. It's just because of the brand. But like the the brand is the identity for whatever version of money that you're talking about, because it's like, even if you're a psychiatrist, you're like, you can kind of, you capitalize off of sections of the market where like anxiety is a section of the market. But so you exploit anxiety in people to make money, even though that's not like the only thing that psychiatrists make money off of. And that's why they're valuable is because they're a juxtaposition of authority of a number of topics. And it's really like the more topics that you're, oh, my computer's warning me about something. No, forget about that. It's really the topics that you're, the more topics topics you're able to be in authority over for a single position. Wow, this is annoying. More warnings for nothing. Yes, exit the setup. Uh, the more authorities that you are over for your given position is like the more valuable your juxtaposition, like the more utility that you have. Um, and the more, I mean, the more agency you have, the more authorities, but it's like, uh, I'm distracted. The, the money, the property lines, the authority, it's just about, but like you promote, you promote a reality. But if, if you're a psychiatrist, you have authority over like anxiety or, and depression, probably in like addictions and stuff, you, you have authority over all these things, but it's like any one of them, anxiety doesn't say what the person is, but anxiety is one that's very marketable because it covers so many people's lives because it's, it's kind of a bland or, or broad or general term is anxiety. So it's like more people can see themselves in anxiety. So you, it's more lucrative, but like, uh, there's like, it's, it's lucrative for you to have any identity at all that you would become a psychiatrist. That is lucrative for you at the point that you maintain the identity. That is a lucrative, like byproduct of you, um, well, it's like of you like making money, but it's kind of, it's more that the identity and the money are kind of, you can't separate them because, because the more money you get, because you only make money promoting yourself as an identity. That's the only thing that produces money is if you, if you are able to sell people on a reality that exists over long, over a period of time over different periods of time, because what's so interesting about time, like a natural property of it, like characteristic of it is that it changes always. Like every new moment is that technically speaking, like that's a new time. As long as you're willing to acknowledge it, especially it's especially evident when you acknowledge they're like, Oh, this is a different minute, but that's what like, whatever that thing is, we describe it as times through our observances of different ones, but it's like, whatever that thing is, it's always changing. Like ever changing behavior is what time is describing. But what, what money will do is provide a pattern across time that makes like, it consolidates different frames of time into one, into a, into this, into a sameness. It will equate a number of periods of time into one name, but like in order to hold a title, or a label or sell people on a label, you, um, 
you have to like, you have to be able to sell people on that reality. And it's only as long as people believe in it, that that title does stand over different frames of time and that the sameness or this identity is created as a result. And like, that's what a, that's what like Mexico is, you know, Mexico is this reality that Mexico is able to sell the rest of the world on that has specific borders. Like we carved out this property, we call it. And since the rest of the world respects it, it's like this reality that generates money and you can profit off of Mexico's economy because, because it has an identity, but the identity is the name really that the name that they gave to the property that continues to be longstanding over moment after moment after moment. But the consolidation of frames of time that I'm talking about is like all different frames of time are consolidated into one name, which is in Mexico's case is Mexico, but this is works for, this works for all the identities. So like men, like identity is, uh, like at a really basic level, like at the point that it is valuable at all, the identity is the same name over two, two recognized periods of time because it's actually unnatural to try to monetize time in this way. So it's like unnatural because borders aren't actually real because civilizations, when they, they set up borders for like, this is our reality, they eventually fall. Same with people, same with companies, same with, same with things that you name, but it's like, it's like the, you, people are always describing, and like, I've been talking about this last couple of episodes, like people are always describing the false, like the construct of money. And it's kind of like, well, everything is, if you really want to understand the extent of the falseness of money, it's like, everything is an illusion. It's just like, how much are you willing to participate in these illusions? Like, and you can get around participating in the illusions just by not involving yourself in the drama of them. But you want to maintain that you're, you want to maintain an identity. You want to maintain that you're interesting in a lot of cases, but it's like, uh, like the brand is a natural result of the, of the identity because when it's a brand, it is generating, um, um, it's generating intangibles no longer that it lasts, but it's like, the stronger the brand, the better that, the better it is at like carving out its niche, so to speak. So it's like difficult to determine what makes a good brand because like a lot of people are in the business of like, how do I sell my brand or make my brand better? But it's like kind of the better that you are as a brand is the better that you, um, the better that you distinguish yourself over your over your thing. Like, uh, it has to be longstanding for a while to be a brand that people recognize. First of all, it has to be around for a while so that you're like, and so that's, that's the point at which you know that it's really making money. It's like that the money is proving itself somehow in the world that like, even though money is false, it's like due to the successful promotion of some version of money, like the university of Texas or something, that's one version of money the due to the successful promotion of it, it continues to exist. And so like the university of Texas has this brand because it's, because it's basically real at this point, seeing as that how long it's lasted. So it's like, there's a point at which, uh, the falseness of money, even though money is an illusion, it becomes real in our, like, because we have to speak to each other in, in something like we have to, we have to have some point of reference to relate ourselves to each other with, with, and so like, there has to be some things that are real and the things that are real are the things that have established themselves longer, even though like ultimately they're false, you still have to like recognize reality, but it's like, yeah, like a brand, if you look at, 
there's a fast food, I don't know if it's near you or not, called Rallies that they have here. And Rallies, there's a bunch of locations of them across the city. They're like a successfully franchised fast food chain, but yet they have no brand whatsoever somehow. Like you can have you can have a bunch of franchises yet still not have a brand. And uh, so that's kind of interesting, the case of Rallies, but it's like Rallies is so, part of it is that they're so cheap like, so, so what is it that makes them not a brand? Part of it is that they're so cheap that they don't, um, like, it's just the cheapness. I've eaten there once and it made me sick, but it's like, it would make sense that it would make me sick because everything on their menu is cheap. Like they don't, they seem like a restaurant that's just doing things in the name of cheapness, but it's like, you have to, um, you have to commit to something in order to have a brand and like rallies doesn't do that. Burger King doesn't do that very well because what Burger King is doing wrong, it's like, well, Burger King rallies, they make money. Like I'm sure Burger King still makes money. Maybe Burger King feels as though it always has to be below McDonald's. And so it engages in self-sabotage or something, but it's like Burger King, you always see that they're, they have a lot of cheap shit on their menu and it's like, uh, like you're surprised at how cheap it is. And they sell you lots of cheap deals. Like it, there's lots of stuff that's cheap at Burger King. And they also have a, a problem, a greater problem establishing a brand, but it's basically because they are, they're all, they only have one distinguished menu item, which is the Whopper. And so if they wanted to be a better brand, they would like their only ability to sell you on that. They're a brand is that they emphasize the Whopper really, because that's the only thing that makes them a brand because past that, what is their second item? Uh, it's really like, it's just a Whopper and then a bunch of slush, like, and rallies is just all slush. They don't have any single distinguished menu item. McDonald's, however, is a, McDonald's is a better brand because they, um, well, they're a better brand because you already know, you already know what their second biggest item is. It's a quarter pounder with cheese. And they, like, they have, uh, they have distinguished a, they've distinguished a secondary item for themselves, which Burger King fails at. But it's like even McDonald's even has tertiary items that are like, they have carved out their own market that you know their name. They're like distinguished. McDonald's has a brand because they have distinguished menu items. And so that makes them better overall because they're they're able to tell you the differences between their menu items. And they're like, because the filet fish also has a name to you, even though it's like beyond their number one and number two items. They have better tertiary items. And besides that, like they sell you on, they're somehow able to sell the country on that. Their fries are the best fast food fries. And, but it's like the, they have a lot of sub identities that have carved out their own markets. Like the filet fish is a distinguished item. Quarter pounder cheese is a distinguished item. Big Mac is a distinguished item. And so they have a lot of these sub distinguished items. So that's helpful for building a brand because there's like, they committed to these, they committed to identities. If you didn't commit, it's just like Burger King, we have trouble understanding your brand because you don't, you change the things too much. And we don't know we don't know exactly what you're committing to. And so if you're not committing to something, like you have to commit to something long-term is how the filet fish becomes this distinguished menu item. But like McDonald's, it helps himself out by advertising that. They don't leave it in the dust. Like they'll advertise the filet fish They're not embarrassed by it. Burger King seems to be embarrassed by a lot of the stuff on their menu. And, and so they don't, 
they don't necessarily build a brand as well, but it's like, it's only be, it's only if you're able to commit to more sub identities that you're able to build a better brand, but Burger King doesn't really, their menu is always changing. There's like, it's too, it's too fluid, but it's like, as long as you're fast food, as long as you're in the business of, we're just like selling food, whatever. But like, um, what's interesting is that you can be creative branding and fast food. Like Wendy's is going to, Wendy's, Wendy's is successful at branding, like, uh, just establish, establishing the relationship between $4 and four, four menu items. Like they're, they hold to the four for four. So it's like, they have come up with a way of packaging cheapness that gives them a brand, at least for the time moment in time, but they've held to it long enough that you're like, oh, they do the four for four or the whatever for $5. Like they were better at a step because it's uh, easier to place that in the consumer's mind, like four to four. They're better at establishing that Burger King. They don't have they uh, they need to take some time to try to understand the relationship between the dollar amount on the on the menu, like on the board, and the item and the picture of the item, like with the product itself. They need to take some time to understand that what that relationship is because they don't know what it is. Like in comparison to Wendy's, like the reason Wendy's is better at branding than them is because Wendy's is is more creative that they're not doing exactly what McDonald's is doing, but they are establishing themselves through like the, uh, cheapness, like the money relationship, like, uh, because they know, because they know what they know, you know, you know how Wendy's knows what they're like. I'm, I'm be, I'm belaboring a point a little bit because this is like, I was thinking of this point before belaboring a point. Um, yeah, I'm belaboring a point, but it's like Wendy's. They're they're obviously better at they're better at some things. They're better at branding. You know which you know which companies are better at branding, and it's just like Burger King needs to. You need to figure out some things. I mean, you need to have like a secondary item. You need to. You can't just have a dollar seventy nine for a double cheeseburger when nobody and like that's on your value menu, and. But it's it's just more, it's really just more that Burger King doesn't commit to things long enough. Like that's really the ultimate thing. So they don't take the time to identify themselves in multiple ways. Like McDonald's compounds their identifiability, like through, they compound it. Burger King, they don't brand themselves well. And that only took, that only took like seven minutes to talk about that. Oh my God. This promotion, promotion over time, you... You create for the rest of the world, the consumers that, um, you create for the, for the consumers that you your company or your entity or just your product, like your Big Mac when you're McDonald's, that that lasts as the same pattern time after time, after time, after time. And so it's just like, that is, that is an established reality is the Big Mac and you holding to it is like you, it becomes a cash cow for you. And you just want to, you just want to keep moving out there. It's really when you become stagnant that you have problems because when you become stagnant, it's like when you become stagnant, then you don't, you're not ever changing or you're not recognizing. It's just that you as a person, you already are in every frame of time, you know, like you, you as a person, it is already true just by virtue of you existing and living on the earth. You are in every single moment of time that you're alive and yet what money does is sell you on the lie that 
um, that you don't exist that way, that you don't already have, because because there are some ways in which it is natural for the same thing to happen across time, which is that like you as who you are is always, there's nothing you can change about that. That is the same across time. So like, but when money attempts to describe this same thing, it is a, um, it's not as good. It's an imitation. It's like an imitation of real life is what money is because because reality already is that there's identity across time, but what like what money does or somebody making money, they're like trying to promote a version of that, a version of a, like a person existing across time. But it's like, if you realized that you're already, you're already doing it. Like you're, you're already, it's already that simple. Then you wouldn't have to get involved in the drama of all the realities all the dramas that are created in the world to tell you like, take part in this drama to uh, understand what is special about you or how to make yourself better or how you can make money or pay money for this service. Like, um, because all of those are selling you on, on the idea of like, well, there's like that realities need to be established like arbitrarily or fake over a period of time or something, but it's like, that's just the world we live in. I'm not, there's only so far you could complain about that because it's not like the layers upon layers of money, people and organizations are, um, going to go away in probably not in my lifetime, but, but I don't know. It's just kind of like what America does is like America sells but it's really anything will sell you on like, get this and then you'll have, but like, I'm basically just saying that monies are, money is about identities. And if you're like, you go to school, school education is established to tell you that you are stupid, get involved in education reality. Like, even though you have no choice, but like get involved in education reality so that you can become smart. But it's like, if you had a choice to not be educated, then you would be, you would not be participating in the drama of this reality that's been created for you, where you are always under, where you are always subject to intelligence. And that's what education does for you. You are always dumb as long as you are learning how to be smart. So like this drama and this reality, like in a different realm, like in a different possible universe where you didn't have to uh, choose educate, you didn't have to go into it, then you wouldn't have to participate in the reality where you're always dumb and you need to learn. But like, these are just the way that things are established that you have to participate in the, but like participate in the reality. So you find some significance in your life because because you are, you are insignificant in this way. And then like whoever has money over like a, like a car company, I guess somebody that sells cars, but some things are necessary. Like you need, you need to buy a car. <laughs> it's like money isn't just based on the world we live in. You have to be grounded in reality. And so you do have to deal in money, but I'm just letting you know about money. And I made this point on Twitter but like universities don't, there's no class that's offered to you about learning about money. Like there's finance, but finance is just a specific version of money. If you, if universities offered a course about learning about just money, the idea, or like learning about how do you make money, then that would be a course that was useful for every single one of 
the other courses that they teach because they're always teaching you how to have a career in this area, no matter what courses you're taking at college. They're like telling you how to have a career. A course that was about learning how to make money would be useful for all of the careers because every career is just a different version of money. And so if you learn about money, that would be helpful for anything possibly that you could go into. But but it's kind of like there's there is withholding of information about money often from people that have it, but that's just a way that it's established. It's like, like, why would it, why would it be taught to you? How, because when you have, if you have a secret about something, you often, you often feel the need to copyright it or take property ownership of it. And so it's like something that you're protecting and then, uh, and then so your money, so you protect your money or just protect the idea, like what it takes to make money, because it's kind of like, what it takes to make money. Some people like Joe Rogan, he just generates money based on that. He doesn't, he doesn't identify himself. You know, he's like, I don't participate really in the liberal. He doesn't be a liberal or a conservative. He's outside of it, but it's like the more popular that you are, the more famous you are, but like it generates fame for you to be in the middle generates fame for you to not or or possibly money for you to recognize that getting involved in all the other money institutions like puts you above money like uh but that's something that he just automatically generates money off of just based on that he knows to not I- identify himself to things or something like that but um but there's um there's Lex Friedman and he is part of the rat pack of that Joe Rogan and Elon Musk try to form like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk form the rat pack and they're like the rat pack has rat pack has four members in it if you're basing it off of the original rat pack but it's like this fun new pop culture rat pack is Elon Musk Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman they accepted Lex Friedman because he's like from a different country, they need an outsider that's like kind of like that. But um, you need a fourth member, and I want there. I'm waiting for a fourth. So I'm already making the argument like Lex Friedman is in this group um, because they Elon Musk and Joe Rogan both retweet all of his. They're so on board with everything he does. He's like their best friend. And so who's the fourth member of this Rat Pack? It could be Duncan Trussell. It could be Tim Dillon. But it's like someone that Joe Rogan has on his show. But whoever this fourth member is is like the person that barely got in, like he's barely the person that's making the rap hack what it is, but he's still, he still belongs. Like he still makes a group of four. So it's an entirely, it's a valuable position, but he's, he's just the, whoever this fourth person is, he's the person that he, it's like not his cup of tea. Like the rest, this, the group that's been established. It's like not necessarily whoever this fourth person will make this rap pack. It will not be his cup of tea, and so he's kind of, he or she, and so they're like, because the other three members are the band, and then, because to have a band, you have to have four, band, you have to have four members, really. If you have three members in a band, then it then it's an alternative way of doing music, basically, because three isn't, because three, you know, you have to kind of mention that it's like a three-person thing but especially with two 
but three, you're still mentioning like, oh, but there it's just three of them in the band, you know? But it's a band, like, officially for sure when it's four. And so, like, these Rad Pack things, they're meant to be fours. And, um, like, one of them is the bass, one of them is the lead guitar, one of them is the drummer. Those are the established members. I don't make this these things up. And then you have a fourth person in the band that they're like, they could be whatever, but it's like... It's not necessarily that they make it the band because they are either playing keys or they're an acoustic guitar or just a backup vocalist, but they're like a fourth member where the other three are like making the thing what it is. And like Lex Friedman is the bass player of this band. And so Joe Rogan, he's like the lead guitar because he's showy. He's in, he's just like about talking and being a showman. Like he's all about entertainment. So he would be the lead guitarist. Elon Musk is a drummer. And then the fourth guy, who knows who, who knows who the fourth guy will be, but, um, Lex Friedman is like, uh, Lex Friedman, Lex Friedman is, um, do you know who he is? So he's one of the members of his rap pack, but he has like a Joe Rogan type podcast basically. So he also plays guitar, right? He has a Joe Rogan type podcast. The drummer does his own thing, Elon Musk. And so what's interesting to me about Lex Friedman is that he talks about consciousness like forever. He'll talk about one topic forever. And I find that interesting. But recently, all of the content that he's put out is about um, aliens. And he's like, to the point that somebody needs to talk this guy down. Like, why are you talking about aliens so much? You have this, you have an obsession because you're like, he's like trying to prove a point because all of his content recently in the past week is like, the clips of it even. So even in a whole episode of his, which might last like two hours, he's just talking about aliens the whole time because he's generating all these clips just about aliens. He's talking about aliens um, because he's about, because he's the kind of person that like thinks aliens are real. He wants them to be real. He's the kind of person that's like, we need to narrate aliens into our existence, which it's like, I was also taking that stance. I don't know. It's getting kind of stale. It's very stale that, I, that that would even be the stance because- Looking at something like this, Lex Friedman generating all this alien content, like it just really makes me wonder about what is this, what is the whole fascination with this topic and what is the extent of the fascination? Because I understand why you would keep talking about it. It is aliens because you really, you would never really get to the bottom of it. And also it's not like Bigfoot because Bigfoot would be in a contained area like aliens could, they are, they should be out there. And so of course it makes sense. You would keep talking about it, but I would imagine that to some extent you're talking about aliens all the time. You kind of want to, but I don't know. Then the rest of the world is like, Oh, maybe he is an alien, but there's just all these stereotypes about aliens now. And, and so Lex Friedman is taking the stance of just talking about aliens so much. But like, if I were to have a conversation with him, I would be like, Hey, you need to, you need to balance your diet a little bit more. You need to cool it with the alien talk because like, this is probably harmful for you. What is the extent of, um, you talking about aliens? And what I'm saying is that like, I'm, I'm also interested, I would also be interested in talking about aliens a lot because you can't really reach a limit, but that's like the, that's the problem with it is that it's like this hole that you can fall into or you're like, what is the limit? Or like, there's, we need to expose the secrets of it that like more information, like the more that I talk about aliens, the more that aliens will 
be upon the earth is what he thinks is like the trap you fall into by trying, you can try to make aliens real. And Lex Friedman is trying to make them real, like all on his own. And, um, but really when you think about it, it's just like, it's just, um, promotion. Like he's just making money off of aliens, the topic. And I don't know the thing, the question I have is like, would you ever, would you ever be able to prove to me that aliens is anything more than just a genre or a flavor that like, that is anything different from all the other things that you make money off of that. Like, because he is like aliens, aliens, aliens at all these different points in time to establish like a relationship between himself and aliens for one, but also just like aliens are real, but there's something, there's something that has to do with like, it's a, I mean, it's a different kind of topic. So you would fall into thinking that it is just more than another genre or another topic because they're unidentifiable. And so there's something like too large in scope about that. But I think, I think really it's like a, I think ultimately it's just like everything else. Like you, you might fall into the trap of trying to promote yourself through it. And you know that you're doing that if that's all that your life becomes. Like if that's all that, if you're, if you find yourself to be too much under one label, then you, cause aliens is just that. And whatever, like, I think really whatever aliens is, it's not like it would come about by us talking about it necessarily, because we're probably, we'd probably be so confused as to like something that's more intelligent than us, but it's like, it's like, that's, that's the thing is that you kind of use aliens just as a word for more intelligent than us. And so that's, that's part of the falling into the hole is that you're always below the level of intelligence of this thing that you're talking about. And like, really, it's kind of like, you're just talking about levels of intelligence that are higher than you ultimately, because every time you get somebody like this, that's trying to make aliens real or like they need to be exposed. Um, they, they're talking about a level of intelligence that's higher than us. And like, we need, like, you're trying to build the bridge to them by, you think that talking about them, but that's like a, that's a pretty, like, we wouldn't know. Right. But us not knowing how they would be in our existence is the problem with it. Is that like you're using you're just using the word alien to describe higher levels of intelligence. And so you could just be describing like higher levels of government or like people groups on the earth that already know way more than you and like will never know. And so it's kind of like he's really just pointing to an exposure of it doesn't really have anything to do with aliens. So like he's more just pointing to like, we need to expose higher powers, like higher powers need to be brought to light. And so you end up using alien as a term for, since like aliens are un unidentifiable, you're just kind of talking about intelligence that is above you. So like you need it, but it's kind of like an attempt to meet God or like you think you can talk your way there and it's just futile. Like, like the Tower of Babel or something, like you think you can make it. And it is it is Babel though. It is Babel after a while when it's like, I don't know, I guess Babel would be too many different sounds. It wouldn't be the same sound over and over and over again. But like, like you can make yourself, you can make yourself that, you could make yourself aliens. 
where you're, but he's promoting himself through it. He's also making money off of this one topic, but he, like you can exploit it forever as it turns out, it's like right now, because it's artistic to the time period. You can keep exploiting it for money. You can always have a position because it's like, it's a crutch for you if you want, because it's like, um, a term that's arisen in the world and especially in a popular one and especially like artistically popular now. And so you can carve out your section of the empire of that topic and promote it in a, in a way, but like be, and you're only, you're able to do that when you're just repeating the same like adjective over and over again, because like whatever is alien, that's really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more about it than that. They're aliens. So you already recognize that we only have this one term that we haven't intelligently broken down any categories within it, or we haven't specified anything about it. You that tells you that what is um, that tells you that it's already above your pay grade in terms of intelligence because we don't even have the means to describe anything within aliens besides aliens, aliens, aliens. But like, it's a blanket term because it covers. Basically, every it covers everything in the universe except for the Earth. Is like alien behavior is out there. It's like a blanket, and so it's like um, it's just not intelligent. But America sells itself to the rest of the world as money, and so we are a money paradise. We are money world in the world. Like we are, we are the country in the world or the reality in the world that defines itself by money more so than every other country because because we sold ourselves as money more successfully to the rest of the world than any other country sold itself as money that's why we're the that's why the US dollar is the reserve currency everybody has it on hand to trade in it because it's the most stable but that's only because america sold itself to the rest of the world more successfully than any other country to tell you that they are stable and relevant that they produce culture but they produce the most culture it's like a it's also a naturally occurring thing they naturally produce pop culture before other people like England just feeds off of America's pop culture in a lot of ways. Like England generates maybe more of their own than other countries, but yet they're, they grow up with like American pop culture for the most part. And like, that's what they, because America is more successful at exporting their pop culture, but they, they sell themselves on America's relevance. Like America has sold itself. They are, they are money world. They are currency world so much so that like we, have we like, and if you are, if you've established yourself as the reserve currency for the rest of the world, the currency that the world trades in, then um, you kind of are like, well, we have a lot of currency at currentness. We have a lot of relevancy. And so we can like, we have a lot of money and that's what America says to its citizens. It's like, well, we have lots of money on hand because of, because we are the money country. We do have lots of money, so we can always just print more. And so what you do right in the world is if you set up your camp in America because, because the property lines will within it is always the most money because that's what they that's what their identity is to some extent. And so even if you're a poor person, it helps to be in America. And it's like uh like the government's giving welfare to the poor, like how horrible. Like I'm pretty sure that there are worse things than that. Like, oh, they're trying to help out. They're giving money to the poor because they have lots of money because America has lots of money. So they're giving some of it to the poor. Like there's so much money here that they can just print more because they have the most currency because their currency, like 
we just print more of our currency and we're just drowning in our own currency. But it's like, it's, it's because we are that brand. We are money to the rest of the world. We're successful at selling our, our, our relevance to the rest of the world better than everybody else. And that's what makes us the most, most relevant. So it's like, uh, because of, because our brand is money just by being within the country, like money is money is with you too. It's like, uh, but that's just because of, that's just because of what the Americans produce. Hmm. Label this brand or money? I guess probably money. But it's like, it's like money. People say money is time. Fuck that. I don't. I don't feel like establishing that. I mean, I am. I've been establishing that. It's really only because it's like that. Money becomes tangible. Is it is lasts over a period of time. But like to establish a decade or a brand, like every new decade or every new century has potential to be whatever. And so it's like in its formative years in the beginning of the century. So what's interesting is when that happens for a whole millennium. Uh, let me cover that on a different time. Let me cover that in a different topic or I mean a different episode. Um, hmm, what else can I share? Well, I also had this idea. Here's this idea for you. Um, the word ridiculous. Let's see. What does this relate to money? Well, it kind of just relates to fame. The word ridiculous rose to fame about 11 years ago. It rose, it reached its pinnacle in terms of usage and the point at which a term reaches its pinnacle in terms of usage, where a term is a territory, ridiculous describes certain things. And so it's like you might have the characteristic ridiculous and so you, like you naturally are that, that means that your position in life, you are on the property lines of ridiculous. Like you have the, you might have the property ridiculous with yourself. You might have the property of it. And um, like, like ridiculous as an adjective is a property and it, um, it wants to make itself relevant in the world, wants to make itself known, you know, not like, not like it's sentient, but it just kind of happens that way where when people circulate it at a greater rate than at one time versus another time. And the rate of greatest circulation or like the rate of, or the greatest popularity, greatest fame, the pinnacle, the height of the relevance of ridiculous happened about 10 years ago because it like, it became a slang term. It became a slang term like, but what happened was it used to be negative and then it reached a point like the point that it reaches greatest popularity is when it becomes inversive or like passes a 50, 50 threshold, so to speak. But the 50, 50 threshold that passes over in this case is between positivity and negativity. And it's like terms, terms have this lifespan where they start off as negative or start off as positive. And then if they have a long enough lifespan, it's recognizable the point at which they become negative. Like with the word ambition, <clears throat> The word ambition used to be negative because it used to just be associated with arrogance because it's arrogant and um, like fantastical, like it's in fantasy that you would be ambitious, that you would th think that you have something to say where other people don't. Like I'm ambitious, like I will succeed at a greater degree. Like, so it's kind of arrogant and unrealistic. And so uh, ambition used to have this negative connotation, but then at some point we're like, oh, it's good to have ambition. 
then it just became the society looked on it positively. But <clears throat> this happened in real time for us 10 years ago with the word ridiculous because like it used to just be like a slap on the wrist because it was like, um, th that's ridiculous. That's worthy of ridicule. You shouldn't do that because that's, that's ridiculous. Like that's kind of how it was presented and spoken in the world. And then, uh, like when I was in high school, it was kind of became a slang almost where you're like, oh, that's ridiculous because it reached this point where it crossed over a 50, 50 threshold of positivity, negativity, where it started to become positive because people started to recognize its value as positive. But like, it's interesting when something like that happens in your lifetime and its value as positive is that people are like, oh, ridiculous. That's good because it's like presents, it's so out of the ordinary, presents a new reality. And, um, like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Oh, that's like, you're interested in somebody that's ridiculous. Like it's so grand or something. It's grand enough that it's like absurd, you know, that it's that absurd, but there's kind of a point generationally where we're like, oh, we're interested. We like absurd. We like ridiculous, but almost to the point that ridiculous becomes a slang. But, um, it's like this point of inversion is what's interesting about it because at the height of its fame, its greatest amount of use where it becomes slang that everybody's using it is also the point at which it is both positive and negative because it's crossing over from uh, negative into positive at that point. But it's like this 50-50 divide, if you're able to describe it in that situation or, or in other situations, such as like the liberal conservative divide is pretty 50 50. And if you're in the middle of it, you're on, you're both negative and positive in terms of liberal conservative and you're the most popular, you generate the most buzz and the most fame, but it's like the, uh, but I'm making the point that the pinnacle of any entity's existence is this middle that is both of them because you get to appeal to both sides really. But it's like, it's interesting that when terms are being, being inversive, that they're on both sides of it is the point at which they're circulated the most in people's language and society and they rise. That's when they reach the highest level of fame, but like political terms do this too. When they become political topics there, that's the highest level of fame that they can reach because like abortion was not the fame that it was until like, because abortion and people being angry at it has been around since like the fifties and sixties, but it didn't, wasn't like widespread fame until more like the recent few decades. And that's, it's because at the point that it became politicized, it reached its highest level of fame, but it only is politicized because it ends up being a 50, 50 issue. I don't know that every issue always ends up becoming that at some point during its lifespan or like the idea during its lifespan. But, um, I don't know that it always passes the threshold necessarily. Like, like everything always becomes positive when it started as negative. Uh, but if it does, that is its pinnacle. And it's not like every it's not like ridiculous has the high, the same potential for reaching its pinnacle that say like random would a random was another term at the time that reached popularity. I don't know if that was a positive or negative thing, but like, um, not every term has a like same potential capacity for fame. Some, some terms, people, organizations or entities have a greater capacity for it. And so then their fame, I mean, their fame or their, their time for being both both positive and negative flashes differently than other people's times, depending on what your your identity is, depending on what your set of characteristics is, because different people are different versions of things. And so they're like they they provide a different color or flavor, so to speak. And so like the capacity for different people to be, it's just like some people probably don't even have the characteristic that they could be in the middle ever. And so it's like they wouldn't, but uh 
different people have different capacities for fame. And then you see the, you see that capacity in full light. If that person, well, like reaches this level of maturity, so to speak. I know that I, I know that it's kind of confusing what point I'd be making now. Like if you look at Elon Musk, he reaches, what's his highest level of fame. It's difficult to say because he's, he's famous all the time for like 10 years in a row. And, uh, but he has a greater capacity for fame at the point that, but he's just always, he's always in the middle. He's not, he's not liberal or conservative. You don't pin it down to him. And then people like Ken Jennings get on Twitter and they're like, nobody, nobody tells you, tells you their political opinions. The only person that does is Kelsey Grammer. And, but everybody who's, everybody who speaks publicly doesn't give you their political opinions in real life, which is, and then there are a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, Ken Jennings, you're so smart. I love you for saying that. When it's like, um, that's not really the whole story though. Like it's more so that the people that don't share their political opinions actually don't give a shit. So they're not like, you don't recognize that there are people that don't get themselves involved. Like, so therefore they make it so that they don't care. They make it so that they don't care about the thing, but it like, you can, you can take on any identity that you promote yourself as that you're like, I'm this again and again and again and again. And I feel like I made some good points, but like I'm talking about ridiculous is, has this invert because I, I really like this idea of inversion because this is what, like I'm talking about the middle of a spectrum, like ridiculous reached this middle of the spectrum where it was like, if you're to describe it in a 50, 50 divide, that's where it was just right at the middle because it's like, both subjective and objective at the same time. You can't, you don't know. You're like, oh, all of a sudden it's okay. it's good to say that now. And so it's weird when things do that because then they're like, they're on this kind of indescribable middle line. But it's like, I'm just talking about when blur lines become blurred for a topic in society. It's kind of, it's kind of like that because like as long as abortion is politicized, you could, you can feasibly be like, yeah, it's bad or feasibly be like, yeah, it's good. Because, because America is smart enough or something like that, but because America is smart enough to have a two-way divide, I mean, they're smarter than Germany because it's interesting that like Trumpism does parallel Hitlerism a lot uh, because Hitlerism is an example of when the right goes too far, which it's like, you don't have a lot of pure examples of that in history or at least none that are promoted really the Hitler one, if you're on the left, the Hitler one is the only one you'd ever need to promote. Like this is an example when the right goes too far, but yet at the same time you had examples just as egregious of when the left goes too far, like in Russia. And, but it's like Germany and Russia are enemies, even though they're allied at the beginning, but Germ like Hitler is always preaching the evils of communism. I'm pretty sure. But like uh, Hitlerism is kind of like Trumpism. And so you, you see that we have the potential for something like that to develop here with Donald Trump that you wouldn't with a liberal, but there's like liberal extremes that are just, that would be just as bad, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, that maybe Trump is America's version of that same thing because Europe is sort of ahead of America in some, in some ways, like Europe had to take the bitter pill of realizing that nationalism wasn't the way out. I mean, they, they came to some consensus over there 
after the World War, because World Wars had such a big impact on them, they came to some consensus over there that like they realized national sovereignty isn't worth it because look what it produces. And so then they they made everything the European Union. And like America never did that. And like, but maybe America is always just meant to try to be national. Like they're always meant to try to be national. But you see this defend our territory and blame like, in our case, in conservatives' case, they're making like the liberals are evil. Like the liberals are always going to be against us. So it's like the Hitler's Hitler made it the Jews, but conservatives made it make it liberals. But it's like um, you see that America is maybe better at handling handling a situation like that than Germany because America will always like the the press is always against Trump. Like you don't have to worry about him becoming Hitler actually because the press is always, always against him. And so there's something valid about that, but the press always hates him. In Germany, the press was like, Hitler controlled the press, like, and the press was entirely for someone on the right. And so he was able to propagandize whatever he wanted. But like the, like America, it's too... 50-50, the checks and balances of it, we we can't ever arrive there. Like, you don't need to worry because the press definitely hates Trump. And, uh, I mean, we always end up with this 50-50 split, so maybe we don't, yeah. Like, maybe we're always against totalitarian rule. I mean, we always are, but that doesn't mean that you can fall into communism. But it's like conservatives are. Conservatives are always worried about us falling into the extreme of the left, communism. Leftists are always ex- are always afraid of fascism and so they develop the antifa but oftentimes you don't you wouldn't recognize antifa to be on the left but it's like if you since their name is anti-fascist like most liberals are sort of like anti-fascist but it's not liberals sometimes it's just literal people and sometimes it's not conservatives it's just nationalists sometimes it's just trumpists sometimes it's just populists Sometimes it's fascists. Like, there's a lot of different versions of the right. The right likes to maintain, but it, there's there's just nuances within it. We should we should strive to describe these liberal and conservative more intelligently and more specified. Like in real life, this is the dialogue that you should you should share language that is not so stigmatizing as to be like all liberals are this. Like in reality, so that's a sin that I've committed, if I'm going to call it a sin and repent, I repent. But in Russia in the 1930s, they were so, they were propagandizing Stalin so much. They just put pictures of Stalin everywhere. So it's like, uh, they put pictures of Stalin everywhere and he was Joseph Stalin, you know, and everybody knew that. And one of the most popular fragrances in 1930s Russia was called, uh, breath of Stalin actually it was called breath of stalin isn't that isn't that good for them that they wanted breath of stalin all over themselves like one of the one of the biggest perfumes was breath of stalin because stalin just plastered his image everywhere so so everybody knew who was good in their country like stalin but you know stalin had a lot of power did you know that what I what you find out when you explore into World War II, if you go deep enough, is that Hitler actually had a lot of power. He was actually um, 
he actually gained lots of power and um he was in the german government and he actually rose to power within it and he ended up with he ended up with a lot of military strength um what you find is that you had with world war II, there's a lot of military strength concentrated in different parts of the globe and so different military strengths were going against each other because you had Germany and they had they had a lot of military strength. They had a profound amount of military strength. And um, so much so that they, you might call it that they went to war, like they started to fight with the military. But military strength clashing with other military strength, you would probably be accurate to call that a war. So it so happened, like if you dig deep into World War II, what you find is that there are these armies, there's like the British army, and then um, the American army, but the American army was separate from, it's in an entirely different hemisphere. And they actually hadn't, they actually hadn't gotten involved with, because what happened was the armies that were most near each other started clashing first because um, to develop that they were fighting. But not only were there armies, but there were also like, there were, there were air forces and and, and if you look into it, Germany actually had an air force and a military and a navy. They actually had submarines. But what you find is that for the German submarine, there's actually a British version of ships also. There's also a British version. There's some semblance of ship-likeness made in America and in Japan and for all the countries that were clashing. But this is like, this is what happens when there's military strengths is that they're it often combines it often combines the sea the air and land and germany actually had a number of troops and they actually sent them into different areas so that they fought and then when those troops fought they were they were different but what's interesting though is if you like you look into it because um a, a number of people have done research on this i'm not a historian i'm not a historian but there's actually a lot of historians that have dug very deep and they found that Hitler was almost like a dictator of sorts. Like, and, and he teamed up with Mussolini and Mussolini was also described by some to be a dictator. And, but they did it in the name of saying, but there was like this collective, there's this unity involved where a country was like, we like who we are as this country. But that's what actually gave rise to there being a military that the military went off to create a war. And what happened is, Amer so America had an army, but they weren't, they were over on their own, but they were like waiting for the war to happen. And then they, they rushed over and they're like, uh, USA, USA. And then we killed bin Laden and... That was one of the proudest moments of, it's one of the proudest moments in American history. I remember when we stormed Normandy and finally assassinated bin Laden all in one fell swoop. Those were the good, those were, that's was when times were good. That's when we were unified as a nation. Like we were the breadbasket of the world or like the country back home domestically, we became breadbasket. Everybody went to work, you know, while the troops were fighting to slay bin Laden on French soil. And that's what America is about. You 
once Bin Laden is in the territory of France, you take that guy out because he's up to no good, you know? The thing with Bin Laden is like, man, man, that guy was up to no good. He really didn't, like, there's something wrong with that guy, in my opinion. There's, like, I don't know. Like, some people disagree with him being dead. And to those people, I say, like, yeah, maybe it's better that he's dead. Maybe it was, maybe it was a rightful cause to go and kill him. Because there's always, it's always controversial whether or not, whether or not it's better that Fidel Castro is gone or, but long story short, if Bin Laden coincides with France, then it's like sometimes you see him at the top of the Eiffel Tower and you're like, oh, that guy's up to no good. It's Bin, Bin Laden's at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Bin Laden's up there. Do you see him? He's like, you can't miss. He's, he's in the turban sticking right out. He's waving. He's waving it. Of course, he's taunting us. That guy's, he's always up to no good. Like you ever get a good feeling from that guy? You ever get a good feeling from Bin Laden? I don't. I don't. Every time I see him, I'm like, I'm not pleased. I'm not pleased by Bin Laden's presence and my image of him, my that I construe him to be something. My artistic rendering of Bin Laden does not make me happy. And like, that's why we need to eliminate him. And so like, duh, of course we had to especially when he's just at the Louvre, like, especially when he's just at the Louvre hanging out. We are tired of that kind of behavior, aren't, aren't we? Can't we, are we able to unite behind anything? It's disgusting. It's disgusting. You know that place in France where all those keys are, like all those locks are on the fence, uh, having to do with love of some kind? It's like Bin Laden pollutes that instant, taints, taints it with his taint and with his body. And like, he taints it instantly just by arriving there. He pollutes it. That scene, and it's such a beautiful scene. There's so much beauty in France. And it's like, what is a guy like that doing in a country full of such beauty, like beautiful language? Um, and it hurts. It hurts to think about. And like, we need to take a guy like that out. But um, if you look into it, it was kind of like Germany was plotting this thing, you know, it's like kind of like Germany was actually plotting it before they did it. And they were like, they're going to go, they took different territories at different times, right? Uh, this is verifiable. They actually took this territory, this territory in this year, and then a different territory in a different year. And if you look into it, they were actually already thinking about doing that but it made it made this big thing where it made this big thing where they were all clashing after a while it was just like i don't know you can't make these things up but um yeah just watch out for money watch out for uh, brand promotion yeah thematic watch out for thematic closes well it's like um in order to make good on the topic that I'm talking about, you know, I have to promote it a certain way. This is me promoting myself through a specific topic. Do you get the point? Duh. Let me topic, let me topicize this. Let me topic this one. 
so that it is topical, so that it is promotable, This you can follow it through time as the same name. I did it. Peace. <laughs>